Welcome to this week's NL Full Time, and it's uh, a rather strange one this week. Of course, uh, we all know what's been happening in the news, and we'll get onto that shortly. But um, we'll bring in the, the usual gang with us. Uh, I've got Chris Pratt on the line. Hello, Chris. Good morning, Luke. And I've also we've also got Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Hi, chaps. We've also got a a special guest this week. It is. BBC Radio 5 Live and commentary legend John Murray. Hello, John. Hello, hello, everybody. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure for you to join us uh, today, John. And, and basically, what it, the reason we've got you on is because you were at uh, a National League game yesterday. And the reason for that is because, obviously, because of uh, COVID 19, all the other games are off. Um, a bizarre experience, which we'll get on to shortly. Uh, hello, Dickie. Hello. Uh, sorry about that. A few technical issues. Um, I'm sure it's not the first time John's had those. No, no. That's very, that's, that's very, it's all very familiar. Good morning, John. Really nice to speak to you. Yeah, no, nice to speak to you too. As I said, it's, um, it's been a very strange few days, it's fair to say. All games in the Premier League, around Europe, around the world have been cancelled. But the National League ploughed on and coronavirus has been dominated the headlines. Some games went ahead, some didn't over safety fears. For example, both Barrow and Harrogate were called off. Barrow manager Ian Everett tweeted, as a human, as a man and as a manager, I'm shocked by the National League's decision to continue with the league fixtures. This is not a time for sport, this is a time to stick together and protect your loved ones. Football will come again. Stay safe, everyone. And uh, I heard... Steve King on Radio 5 Live yesterday say if the league said they have to play, they have to play. Mark Bradshaw at Curzon, he thinks the league will be suspended for two to three weeks as per the stats at the minute. And Ian Herring, a friend of the show at Hungerford, said he followed government advice and National League guidelines and had no problems playing the games. Um, Double-edged sword this one, guys. Some clubs have got new fans who are desperate to watch a game. Some got the highest um, crowds of the season. But uh, what are your thoughts, first of all, on, on the National League decision? Uh, Luke, I, th- I think um, I've got to say, if I kick off with this one, I thought it was strange that they that they did carry on this weekend. I thought that with the uh, with the Premier League um, taking a decision, the EFL taking a decision, leagues around Europe taking the decision... I thought it was a surprise when the when the National League took a different decision to go ahead. Obviously, they had their own reasons for that. I think one of them would have been um, the number of people in the ground. But as we know, a lot of National League teams have the have similar gates as League Two t- League Two teams, um, some League One teams even. So I thought it was a strange decision to go ahead. And you've read. Uh, a few of the views of the, of the managers there. I think I would say from the ones that I've seen, the managers were um, less in favour of, uh, on balance, um, most of them were less in favour of, of continuing yesterday. So I thought it was strange and I thought it led to an eerie atmosphere in grounds. I, I wasn't at a game yesterday. I had about three lined up and they got postponed one after the other. Um, but uh, yeah, from what I heard, it was quite strange inside the grounds yesterday. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was going to Go to a step three game. Ironically, it was uh, it was called off because of waterlogged pitch, not because of the of the virus. But in terms of the finances, I know the Northern Premier League said they were going to carry on because they were worried that teams would be financially crippled. And I know the Rochdale chairman and other EFL clubs have expressed that. John, I mean, what's your view on it all? Yeah, I mean that's a clear side to it, isn't it? The financial side of things. You know, I, I have to say when when all of the the, the higher level games were postponed at the end of uh, the week, I just assumed that the National League would go the same way. And and National League North, National League South, but uh, 
but obviously that decision is yet to be made and i think we're all expecting aren't we that uh, that they will follow suit uh, when the when they uh, when they have that meeting um but but at the same time i was still i was still surprised actually by how outspoken many of the managers um who were made comments were i heard alan devonshire as well speaking quite strongly against the fact that the games got played and you, you know i think effectively at the moment it, it's not going against the government advice to play these matches and and the reason that the matches of the higher up have been called off was, was because of the number of people who were self-isolating or club employees or whatever it happened to be so it was down to each club to decide wasn't it on on their own basis but listen yesterday when i was on the way to um, to bradford park avenue after yesterday afternoon i stopped i stopped off at a, at a shopping center which was absolutely packed full of people um so and, and per- personally, I just felt yesterday when I was due to be, I was due to be at Newcastle United actually yesterday afternoon. And um, I think probably in common with a lot of uh, people around the country, many, many, probably millions of football supporters in this country, I, just, I actually just had that feeling of being bereft without football and thinking, you know, how, how long is this going to last? And, and, you know, this is unprecedented times. We've clearly never seen anything like this before. This could last for months and months and months. And I just felt personally, on an afternoon like that, I just really wanted to get out and watch some football. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a, it, is, it is a really strange feeling in a way. I mean, Rob, Dickie, you also went to games. I mean, what was the atmosphere around around the places that you went? You went to Fylde, Rob, and obviously Dickie, you were at Telford. Yeah, um, yeah, it was a little bit of an eerie atmosphere at Fylde. Also, as I think John pointed out on Twitter, there were a lot of people at matches that weren't expected to be. There were there were some Sunderland fans that had already mm. booked a Blackpool, uh, a Blackpool weekender and uh, what, some from Denmark and Norway as well. That's strange. I don't know what their reasons were. But uh, it was a bit of an eerie atmosphere, and and, and and it kind of felt, you know, taking all logic into account, that it might have kind of happened this weekend. But I'm not so sure with the noises coming uh, from the uh, government in terms of mass gatherings from next week, whether that might change this week. And, and, and I had a little bit of a feeling yesterday that that might have just been, I don't want to be too gloom and doom, but it felt like all, to all intents and purposes, and logically that might have been, the last games of the season yesterday. That was certainly the the, the feeling that I um, heard expressed by people at Telford after the game yesterday. It was a strange atmosphere, basically waiting to see how many people would actually turn up. But we, we ended up with a couple of hundred people more than we, we normally get. I think we had some um, groups of younger supporters who came from Wolves, West Bromwich, Albion, places they normally go to, who actually helped to add to the atmosphere. I think they just wanted their normal Saturday afternoon. Um, and I know I write my piece for the local newspaper, and, and I said it was very much as if people just wanted to have 90 minutes of normality. And I think for the duration of the game, while the game was being played, people just got to switch off from all those concerns that they've got in their head at the moment and just enjoy something for the sake of it. It probably helped as well that Telford and Kettering, Telford in mid-table, Kettering probably not under any threat of going down. So I don't think either team necessarily had a huge amount at stake and they just provided some entertainment for 90 minutes. I think people just really appreciated that. Yeah, again, we go back go back to the financial side, John. I mean, obviously the Premier League and a lot of the championship clubs pro- probably could manage without another game to the end of the season. But you look at League One, League Two, National League, Northern Premier League, Espion Southern, 
is there a case for saying, look, just suspend it for maybe two or three weeks and see what happens and then maybe try and go again at those levels? Well, I think, first of all, on the on the atmosphere at Bradford Park Avenue yesterday, I, I, I felt it was actually quite a buoyant atmosphere before the game, but it was obviously an important match for both sides at the at the bottom end of, um, of, of National League North and things went against Bradford Park Avenue. So um, I think from the regulars, I think very quickly or certainly towards the end of the match, there was quite a, you know, an, an unhappy reaction to what was happening on the field. But in terms of the number of people who were going and at, and at our match, there were people, they announced over the public address system, there were people from Queen of the South, there were people from Leighton Orient, uh, quite a number of clubs locally, but there was also a, a group of people from New York who'd actually come over, to, I believe, to watch Manchester City. Their match was called off, and so they, they rerouted to watch Bradford Park Avenue. So it was quite, I mean, it was a very, very unusual mix. It was, uh, I think, 685, the crowd mm. at Bradford Park Avenue yesterday. And on the financial side, yeah, you know, it's a bit, it, it's clearly going to be a big, big worry. You know, in the grand scheme of things, obviously, there's many greater things of importance going on and matters of greater importance and, and pressing issues than, than the football fixtures in the football world. But I think the finances of, of businesses generally, football clubs being a part of that, is going to is going to come into it. And there maybe have to there may have to be some sort of emergency action taken in order to keep a, a lot of clubs afloat. You know, it's a, it's an absolute minefield really isn't it for the for the um, for the financial people yeah well i mean we keep hearing a lot about obviously small businesses being in trouble and, and like you say football clubs come into that small business now don't need a small business world and some clubs may only have three or four weeks to survive if they don't have a game yeah and i mean this could this genuinely could go on for i mean it it is it is open-ended at the moment isn't it and when we talk about what might happen i think the only time we can really talk about that seriously is is when we when we know that football is about to begin again but um you know that in itself poses all sorts of problems yeah but what what do you know john obviously you're you're planning to go to the euros in the summer that looks like it's going to be postponed or at least maybe put back i saw something about november uh today i mean what's the word on the street what do you know well um i think we'll have to wait and see what uefa are going to say on tuesday at their emergency meeting and then the premier league have got this meeting um, to react to that on Thursday um, and you know it, everything is up in the air and I mean I, I actually I actually think that we we could potentially see a complete redrawing of the football calendar you know the the, the powers that be the governing bodies might see this as an opportunity now to to try and streamline things a little when you've got when you've got a period of time here to take a step back and think, what are the priorities? How much football is being played? How much football is being played that we that we don't need? And what are the priorities? When I say a complete redrawing, part of the thinking there is that World Cup in Qatar in 2022. And if we have a significant break here, I do genuinely wonder whether we, we might have a scenario whereby the football calendar changes from running autumn to spring to actually running from during the course of the calendar year from January or February until November because of that winter world cup in Qatar so we you know it is it is potential potentially we could see some really dramatic changes if we don't have any more football this season then what what's the fairest way do you think is it is it points per game do you think guys what what's your opinion on this i've been having a bit of a look at 
at this this morning, particularly just in relation to the National League North, because it's the the league that I'm most interested in. Um, Obviously, we've got a really tight battle at the top there between Kingsley and York. Um, I think if it was just done on points per game at the moment, that would satisfy Kingsley, because I think that would put them slightly ahead, because they've got games in hand. But then people throw into the argument the fact that Kingsley have got more away games left to play than York, and... and, um, how do you factor that into it? You know, it just becomes that metaphorical minefield again. So um, I've heard some suggestions that maybe the fairest thing to do would be just to say, look, this season almost doesn't exist. And when we start again, we start from where we are now with the teams exactly in the same leagues that they're in. Um, Even like the restructuring that we've spoken about with the North and South gathering extra two teams for what would have been next season, that would go on hold for a year. Um, I just don't know what's the what's the easiest thing to do. I suppose that there's never going to be a solution that suits everybody. Yeah, I guess everybody's been given this an awful lot of thought, and uh, you know the path that should be taken. Well, it'll change from the opinion of people connected to what sort of situation their clubs in. Um, you also have to look at precedents, uh, precedences that have been set in the past. You have to go back quite a long way. But uh, from, from, from what I can gather, um, the done thing is the declared thing is null and void, which seems crazy with kind of 10% of the season left. Um, it has huge connotations for so many clubs. Not only did I feel it might have been the last game of the season that followed yesterday, but it was massive for them. You look at their scenario. If the season's declared null and void, they get away with a likely relegation. If it's done on points per game or ended now, they would get relegated. And obviously, as John will be uh, across as well, the likes of what, you know, the, the, the three teams that stand out, Liverpool, 20 points clear in the Premiership, doesn't seem very fair for them not to win the title. What about the money side of things? West Brom, Leeds, um, the season being declared null and void would have a huge impact on them, John, wouldn't it? And uh, we could see some lawsuits. Oh, yeah, without question. I mean, to my mind, if you talk about fairness, the priority has to be to finish the league season I think that I think which per, personally I think whichever discussion that you get into about this to me it always comes back to the fairest scenario being that whatever happens you make the priority finishing the league season whenever that is whether that be June or July and we have to start again then we do it yes yeah John I absolutely totally agree with you on that one if I draw parallels with a with a different sport with cricket if you play in a cricket match and it rains um, if you've if you've covered like 75 percent of the game or 60 percent whatever the rules are for that particular competition you have to carry on I can't believe we'd be in a situation where we play from August until March and then we say the season's just over that's just not fair on anyone um, whether it's points per game or whether it's where, where they stand at the moment just just to pick up on Dickie's point Dickie's looks at the National League North I've looked at the National League and if you worked on a points-per-game basis, there would be some quite significant changes. For example, Barnet, who've played significantly less games than everyone, would move into a playoff spot. But then would the playoffs even be played? There's something like 0.002 between Maidenhead and Ebsfleet down near the bottom, which could determine relegation places. But what would you use? But I agree, John. You, you, you just, I don't think you can just call it null and void. I've been thinking about the, the aspect of that. What do you think, well... You know, particularly for part-time players, the season ends end of April, beginning of May, if you have to make the playoffs, and then there's that short window to take holidays and things like that. But realistically, how many people are going to be flying off on holiday in the situation that we're in currently? Whether that 
gives them the opportunity to finish the season then, even if it's slightly delayed. But we're all very much in the hands of, you know, the scientists and the people who are advising government on much, much bigger issues than this. But, um, you know, this, it does impact upon people's lives. You know, you've got people employed by football clubs um, that, you know, this is their livelihood. And, and it, you've got to think about the impact on that. But, you know, the science has to come first, I think. Yeah, really interesting point that, Dickie. Although football is a sport and we all love it, it like you say, the, the people who work at football clubs and it's their day job and, and that could be affected as well, potentially. Yeah, no, we've only got a very small um, full-time staff. In fact, we've got one full-time employee at Telford. He's the only person who does a uh, full week. Everybody, we've got a few other part-time employees as well. But, you know, I think I read somewhere yesterday about um, Aston Villa employing something like 850 people on a match day. You know, if that's their main income and then Aston Villa aren't playing any games, you know, what, where are those people going to work in, in the interim? It's, um, it's such a an emotive and, and difficult discussion, but um, I think this might actually draw, you know, a lot of community spirit out of people. Ultimately, it's not the way that anyone would have wanted it um, but that whole sort of like drawing together of people and accepting that other people are in just as difficult situation as you are you know for the, in their own circumstances um, you've got to hope that maybe we might see a slightly kinder world emerge from it John do you think that uh, behind closed doors is an option is the way to go with games left if, it, if it's deemed safe to do so I think it's an option certainly if it's deemed safe to do so, but but I I just think in the in the current climate, and I think with so many, and it's likely, isn't it, that uh, the number of people self isolating will increase, not decrease, from the point where we are now. That I think that it's while while it's an option, I think it's probably less of an option than it was maybe a week ago. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Um, I guess it's sort of dear to my own heart, uh, like yourself, although commentating at a much lower level. You know, I've seen a couple of posts on social media saying, why can't they play behind closed doors? You know, the commentators could bring the commentary to people or whatever, but, you know, all those individuals are still important, whether it's the players, the commentators, the match officials, um, and everybody's safety is is paramount right now, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, that's got to be the, that, that's got to be the priority, and I think that's part of the, the part of the, the reason that so many um, of the National League managers said what they said yesterday after, after the game, you know, that concern that bringing all of the people together wasn't what we should have been doing at the moment. I think it's also a bit of a concern that, um, you know, it, as much as this could bring the best out in people, it can occasionally bring out the worst. You know, I've already seen a few accusations um, or, or suggestions that people may be taking advantage of this situation to not play games that they you know, weren't really in the best position to play. And, you know, that's really unfortunate when, yeah. when that happens. You know, I don't think anybody... Um, I don't think that that's entirely helpful, is it, in the, at the current time? I think, you're no, better not. Off, I think you're better off to keep quiet, aren't you? Yes, I mean, even if you have that kind of feeling, it's not necessarily the, the, the thing you share publicly, I don't think. It's funny you mentioned Barnet, actually, because they announced last night that four of their players have gone in to self-isolation. And it, it's ironic as well, we mentioned about legal challenges. I mean, you look at Notts County, they're absolutely flying now and they could potentially challenge Barrow at the top. And it, all of a sudden, if the season gets null and void, they'll be like, well, hold on a minute, we could get in second and go into a good playoff place. Or we could potentially even win the league outright. Yeah, I think, I think, you're, I think you're right. Luke, it's just another point that you know come, that comes back to how it looks from individual teams or clubs' point of view. But uh, I guess.
already. We haven't got to it yet, but I feel quite hollow about even discussing who won, who lost, you know, and, and how teams got on. <laughs> yeah, but I can, I can uh, you know, I, I totally, I can, I can fully sympathise and understand what's being said there in that um, the other night I was at Anfield when we were watching Liverpool get, get knocked out of the Champions League and actually had a very similar feeling at the time, thinking, well, Liverpool have been knocked out, Atletico Madrid are through to the last eight, but they're through to the last eight of a competition that might never finish. Yeah, I know. Bizarre, isn't it? It just feels like... Um... It feels like the world's ending, never mind the, <laughs> the football world at the minute. It's, it's bizarre, isn't it? Certainly very, very unfamiliar times. Yeah. I mean, we've just never lived through anything like this before. As I say, on an afternoon on an afternoon in March, when you would expect things to be really building towards the, the climax and, you know, just that, that feeling of utter uncertainty, really. Yeah, and the fact and the fact is, guys, that this discussion could be um, could be old news in twenty four hours. The speed that things have changed over these last few days has just been unbelievable. I just read today on the BBC website that over seventies may be forced to go into self isolate um, for a few months, even. Um, so things are things are moving so quickly. Because I mean, I wrote that in my notes, actually saying uh, I don't think we'll ever live through a story like this again, will we? I very much hope not, Luke. That would be my feeling about it. That you know, it's it is unprecedented. Um, I think we just everybody needs to just do what they can to come out of the other side of this because the, the you know the, there will be an end to this. And and then, as John was suggesting earlier, whether that means there's a redrawing of the landscape, not just in football terms, but just sort of you know in terms of society and how we think about things as well. Um, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah. It, tumultuous changes yeah I mean there's some difficult times ahead aren't there and who knows how, how difficult those times are going to be and how it, how it's going to affect us all but I think genuinely that when when every when everything has shut down and it looks as though we are heading that way I think that will be something that we do have to cling on to and look forward to however long it takes however many months that eventually a point will come where life will turn, will return to normal, and we'll be able to enjoy sports and football again. And I think you, you, we can really look forward to what will be probably a short term, but it'll be a, a feel-good atmosphere once things get going again. And I think that will be something unlike anything that we've experienced before as well. But uh, problem is, we don't know how far that is away. Yeah, I, th- I think we'll all, I think we'll all appreciate it more, won't we, guys? I was just thinking to myself, imagining what the feeling would be like going back into a ground after, you know, potentially a very extended um, break from the game. Um, and, and just, you know, we know what the feelings are like at a football game when your team is doing well. or You know, the, it'd be like the first day of the season probably, you know, turned up to 11, I would imagine, that the, the, the people's joy at just being back there and able to do something that they enjoy and just love. Um, will, will be a fantastic feeling, and I think John's right. You've got you've got to hold on to that one, that, and look forward to that, and and just do what you can to get through this period. Well, what we'll do is have a quick look at the National League North, and in the National League North, obviously we're getting to the game you went to, John, because as we mentioned, there's a, a lot of repercussions at the bottom for that game, wasn't there? 
Very much so, and uh, it looks fairly bleak. I think. Well, I think it looked bleak before the game for Bradford Park Avenue. And listen, I'm not, I'm not talking about this from any uh, great standpoint of authority. In that it was a rare dip into National League North for me, but uh, I very much got the feeling amongst the the Park Avenue supporters that that that, that was it. And from the Curzon Ashton point of view, such a, an important win for them because they've got um, they've got genuine hopes of of staying up. Uh, in the league this season after that so um so it was a it was a on on the field a very important afternoon for both of the teams as somebody watches a lot of i was going to say somebody watches a lot of european you watch england games champions league was it kind of a nice relief to see that standard of football oh totally uh listen i can't i i absolutely love it um when i get the chance to do that i, I just so rarely get the opportunity uh, because very often if I'm, if I'm not working on a Saturday and I'll be preparing for a game on a Sunday so haven't haven't got the time to get out and, and watch a game uh, something that really means an awful lot to me is the FA Cup because of the fact that I get to go to places like that and get to go to places where I, I don't normally go and so an opportunity for me to go and see a match like that and uh, you know, certainly one yesterday that was packed full of meaning at a venue that I'd never been to before, and just get it. You, you it reminds you of, of uh, you know, some of the important things about football in this country, and, uh, and and why it is that we have the structure that we have, and the history of it all as well. I think it's vitally important um, to to go to go and get out and see that from my point of view. I don't know whether you had the chance, John, but at Bradford Park Avenue, they've got a little museum um, there where they've got, because um, they were obviously one of the, I think one of the founder members, I think I'm right in saying. That's right. Yeah, they've got some fantastic things there. They've got a list of all the clubs, including names like Glossop North End and uh, teams like that who were part of the original um uh, the the original teams it's it's a great atmosphere there I really like it there I uh, I didn't see that I wish I'd known about that before I went <laughs> I'll have to go I'll have to go back now yeah for my for my part I know Bradford Park Avenue's the ground um, I, I visit quite frequently I'll be really disappointed if we we do lose them it, it, it should relegation be what eventually happens because it is a ground like you say John with a lot of character um, certainly sitting in what's what I think is actually a cricket pavilion on the opposite side of the pitch to do your, your commentary and then where you've got the dressing rooms just downstairs from you and you hear the bell ring and the players, the clatter yeah. of the studs as they come up the steps. It, you don't get that in very many grounds that we go to, even at this level. And it, and it, and it is a it's a terrific place to go. Um, and and you get what, a really I, good welcome as well. Well, I tell you what, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing yesterday, which of course you you know you, you cannot do further up the um, further up the leagues. I watched that match from I think five different places. I just moved <laughs> around the ground and just watched it from different spots and found some really nice vantage uh, points to watch it. And you, you know, you, you cannot beat that. That is absolutely that. That's one of the one of the best things about going to see matches at this level. No, you've got you've got that big hillside at one end where that's uh, right. Actually, if you want to stand and watch the game for nothing, you can stand on there if you want. <laughs> you probably can. <laughs> you get all the great shouts as well, John, don't you? You hear some, some odd shouts, but they're funny as well. You do, yes. <laughs> uh, I was talking. I was standing at the end next to a guy who, who told me he'd been going to watch Bradford Park Avenue since 1949, and I was thinking, how old must he be? <laughs> so, and and he, he, must, he must have been at least 80. Uh, and as you say, just an absolute... 
you know, he's such a character. And, and he was, you know, two or three minutes before the end, he was off and he said, this club's given me a lifetime of suffering. <laughs> and, off he went, and off he went down the steps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in coming back to the actual game itself, you know, I think it was probably some of that vibe you got from the Bradford fans yesterday, John, was probably because they'd had two really terrific results coming into that game. That's right. And, and, and coming up against a team towards the bottom as well, I think they must have fancied their chances. But from what I've read, it sounds as if they probably put so much effort into maybe the last couple of games that they've had. And I think they're a little bit short on personnel as well, that they just ultimately ran out of steam. Yeah, they just didn't have enough yesterday. Uh, it was quite a... It, 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 it was a fairly dour first half and Curzon scored the uh, the opening goal right at the end, just a long ball through the middle and the number nine finished it really well. And in the second half, Park Avenue put quite a lot of pressure on but never really looked like breaking through. The goalkeeper, the Curzon goalkeeper made two. He didn't, have, he didn't have an awful lot to do. He made two very good saves and then towards the end... Um, they broke away, and, and when uh, it was Fabio Tavares who scored the second goal for for Curzon, the substitute, that was that was it. Uh, and, and you know they just didn't offer enough Bradford Park Avenue yesterday. But you're right, the the spectators, some of the spectators I was talking to, were making that the old old point: how can they lift themselves to beat Kings Lynn and then lose at home such an important match like that? But that's football, isn't it? It is, you know, we've we've all had that experience. It's um, you know, Cam Mason, the goalkeeper you mentioned there. Um, we were hoping to be seeing him playing for England C a week on Tuesday, but our planned trip as a, a podcast, we were all heading up to Carnarvon to, to watch that game. That's not going ahead, unfortunately. Um, there was a quite a familiar name in that Curzon lineup to you as well, Isaac Sinclair, son of Trevor. Did you pick him out? No. Well, funnily enough, I only got there at three o'clock, so I, did, I didn't get a team sheet. So I was basically, I, I was unaware that he was playing in the game. That's uh, yeah, and, I, and I am aware of him, actually. I put, I, yeah, the Curzon number 11. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, there we are then. Yeah, yeah. I think they've, I think Kersen have actually had quite a reputation for sort of like sons of, of, of uh, well-known former players. I think Callum Saunders, sort of Dean Saunders, was there early yeah. in the season as well. So, if they were, if you're into that kind of like spotting the sons of former pros, they were, they were certainly a club to head to. And the rest of the National League North, obviously, we've looked at the bottom of the table and uh, we'll look at uh, the permutations for that. But at the top, Dick, it was a uh, a massive, uh, massive day, really. We were saying, well, John, John mentioned it then, Bradford Pack Avenue won at Kings Lynn in midweek on Tuesday night, which is probably one of the the, uh, the strangest results of the season, most unexpected. But then Kings Lynn, who've been so good at home, lost again to another Yorkshire side on Saturday, 1-0 at home to Geisley. Yeah, they did. And I think it's something like Kings Lynn's third successive home defeat as well, because they had quite a long period off. They lost at home to Kidderminster. Um, lost to Bradford Park Avenue on Tuesday and yes then Geisley went there and did a job on them yesterday I think that's Geisley 11 away games unbeaten as well so not a complete surprise but because Geisley's away form is terrifically good but I think everybody expected Kingsley to take the points from that one yesterday sounds like it was a bit of a controversial encounter as well I've certainly seen um, the Kingsley uh, owner Stephen Cleave on Twitter um not very happy with some of the refereeing decisions, shall we say, and sharing videos of them and asking people for their opinions of them, which I'm, I'm never entirely sure about, to be perfectly honest. I think, you know, the referees have a hard enough time without having that kind of spotlight turned on them. Um, but yeah, a goal from Kane Felix after 33 minutes was enough for Geisley yesterday. And uh, yeah, terrific result for them. And, and then from, from being in a position a few 
weeks ago where Kings Lynn looked like, you know, not exactly certainties, but, you know, it's it's slipping around like a bar of soap in their hands now. Your beloved Kings Lynn, Chris. Yes, I hope they don't drop off, I must admit. I mean, they've got those games in hand, haven't they? I mean, I think we can have these discussions just... We have to have these discussions assuming that everything's going to carry on at some point. But, uh, yeah, they've got the games in hand, haven't they, on York? And uh, hopefully they uh, pick up form. Yeah, I think it's one win in their last six and four defeats in that as well. So, they've, you know, people have been saying... You know, Kings Lynn haven't hit a, a bad patch yet. Well, they certainly have now. Um, whether they get the chance to, to, to pull themselves out of it, well, we, we don't know. But, yeah, based on, you know, we can only talk about what's happened up to this point, can't we? And, and, and Kings Lynn in the last few games have, have certainly shown signs of wobbling. Uh, another team who uh, aren't wobbling are Spennymore. They've had a good win against, we can call them in farm Hereford. They've, they've kind of upset, upset the farm book over the last few weeks. But Spennymore, who uh, suffered a bad defeat at Altrincham a week or so ago, uh, back to winning ways. Yeah, they, they rebounded from uh, from that. It was quite a thumping for Spennymore last week, 4-1 away at Altrincham. But they, they rebounded from that one. Hereford have been in good form, as you say, got a 4-1 win away at York. Uh, I think they followed that up with another victory after that as well. So they were looking for, um, uh, you know, they'd have travelled up optimistically, I would have thought, but it sounded as if they, they weren't really in it yesterday. Uh, a Glenn Taylor penalty after five minutes. Um, another goal for Tyler Forbes. Don't know if it's from long distance, but I think that's his third scoring game in a row for the fullback, which is pretty good going. So 2-0 at half-time. Mark Anderson with a goal on 54 minutes and Taylor just put in the icing on the cake with a, a fourth on 88 minutes. Yeah, well, we're saying about obviously not many games on and the teams went out who did play and, and put on an entertaining fair and none more so than at Brackley who got a good away win at Alfreton. I think they were 4-0 up at one point, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I think Brackley sort of stormed into a 2-0 a lead in that game. Um, I think that takes them up to third in the table. Yeah, it does. Um, Wes York... Uh, he's on loan to them from York. He, he scored on 15 minutes. James Armson, really experienced competitor at this level. He put them two up with a penalty just after the half hour. Um, and then it says Matt Lowe with two goals in the second half. I thought the last one had been credited to, uh, I, I almost said friend of the show, Leon Love there, but I thought the last one had gone to Leon Love. But yeah, they were 4 nil up and I think it was a, only a late rally from, from Alfreton that made the scoreline look a little bit more respectable. Um uh, a penalty kick in there and then Ben Tomlinson scoring on 90 minutes but um, you know Alfreton have sunk into mid-table they're, they've not got that much to compete for at this point of the season and Brackley in the playoff positions wanting to, to finish as high as they can um, probably not a surprising result Another 4-2 and another 4-2 to the away side was up at um, Blackwell Meadows Darlington uh, where they took on Farsley as I say finished 4-2 to Farsley and they had to come from behind twice and eventually ran out clear winners. Yeah, and this one was perhaps a bit more of a surprise. I know I saw Darlington last week, um, and I mentioned the fact that Alan Armstrong had, had challenged his side to try and go and beat to the end of the season. Obviously, not knowing when the end of the season was going to be, he was imagining it was going to be eight, nine games away at that point. Um, well, that, well, by the wayside yesterday, a terrific win for Farsley Celtic. Um, yeah, and a former Darlington player came back to haunt them there. Dave Sawyers scoring twice for Farsley, also a goal for uh, Jimmy Spencer in there, and Adam Clayton um, in the 83rd minute put in the seal on it. 
Omar Holness and Adam Campbell were the scorers for Darlington. But uh, yeah, that that was a surprise result yesterday. But a terrific result for Adam Lakeman's side. They've not been they've been in inconsistent form of late Farsley, um, and that's I think they did get a draw with Gloucester last week. I think away on Monday night. But yeah, that was a, that was a fine fine result for them. Yeah, and the final game is obviously, as you alluded to earlier, not a lot on the game. I mean, Kettering are down there, and, and although they're not safe yet, in our heads we think they probably are, and Telford were mid-table, and another entertaining game. Yeah, it was an entertaining game. I mean, we had a little bit of, um, uh, not I wouldn't say drama beforehand, but we found out just about, around about two o'clock or so that um, Alistair Smith, he was on loan to Kettering from Mansfield. He's not travelled with the team. I don't think he trained with them on Thursday either. I think the last they'd seen him was on Tuesday. He'd gone down with a fever and had decided to self-isolate. So there was a little bit of um, discussion around that one. Paul Cox, uh, the Kettering manager, went to referee Ed Duckworth and, and made them aware of the situation. Obviously, very uh, a selfless act there from, from Paul Cox to go and do that, you know, to make the referee aware. Um, and the referee gave both managers the option of whether they want to continue or not. Gavin Cowan and Paul Cox said, yes, we want to play the game. And it was really good entertainment for a, a crowd of 1,200 there. Telford 2 nil up by half-time goals from Ryan Sears, who's just arrived on loan from Shrewsbury Town, a defender. Ryan Barnett with the second goal on 36 minutes. Barnett then provided the third goal for Aaron Williams on 63 minutes. Bright spot for Kettering was... A, the goal from Amari Sterling James was an absolutely fantastic finish. The goal of the game on 68 minutes, and they did miss uh, a chance to, to to get it back to three two. And I think when they did that, it was pretty much sealed as going to be the points for Telford in the afternoon. But but really good entertainment for those who um, who went along to the game yesterday. Yeah, and you caught up with Paul Cox after the game to explain a bit more about the Alistair Smith situation and the game in general. I'm with Kettering Town boss Paul Cox at the uh, end of the game at the New Box Head. Unfortunately, the properties have gone down to a 3-1 defeat, but um, not all about the football today, Paul. Uh, if you look at the bigger picture, um, no, uh, the referee gives us the, the you know the option to to call the game off. You know, and Alistair Smith had, had collapsed this morning, um, you know, with searing temperature, uh, and obviously uh, there was quite a few players worried. But um, yeah, there is bigger things than, than, than football. And um, you know, let, let's hope we, you know Alistair makes a, a speedy recovery. We don't want to see anybody ill or, or anybody's health um, in any way, um, you know, affected. Um, you know, with this horrible virus that's going around. Sure, I mean the players, they were all keen to play. I take it, were they? Or, you know, and, yeah, and look, you, you look, were as well. Yeah, the players. Yeah, the referee asked us. Um, you know, we had, we had uh, both managers in. Um, I had to tell him about the situation because I, I would hate to think that anybody would, you know, be. Sort of uh, infected uh, from today and didn't didn't know about it. So I know there was a number of games called off even when we was en route to the to the ground um, because of um, you know infection spread through you know through, through their squad. So um, we'll have to view it over the next 24, 48 hours. But I'm sure that you know Alistair's been with his training and stuff like that. So I'm I've no doubt that we're going to get cases of it in our in our squad now. So. Um, but it's something we're going to have to deal with, like everyone else. And we just um, we just hope that you know decisions are made now that um, that benefit people's health rather than um, you know a sport. We can always go back to sport, but you can't get your health back. Sure. Okay. Coming back to today's game, then um, obviously disappointed with, with the end result. But uh, you know, you've 
since you've taken over at the club, I think that's probably something only about the fourth league defeat, something like that. I think yeah, so I think it's the fourth league defeat. Um, that that doesn't <laughs> doesn't go away from the fact I thought we were uh, we were poor today. Um, uh, we're very much off the pace, not with our DNA. Um, it's been tough. It's been tough. We took over when the, when the club were rock bottom, and uh, you know look look at some of the resources. I look around the, you know the, these places, and we, we play in clubs with fabulous budgets and fabulous grounds, and and um, we haven't got those. We haven't got those, so we're having to sort of beg, borrow, and steal off off everyone to you know to get to get um, to get us where we want to get. And we're working really hard. It's been tough. It probably like I've said in, in numerous interviews now. You know, I've, I've won championships and got promoted into the football league, etc. But this will be my biggest achievement, keeping this club in this league because I think you know 15, 16 games ago we were absolutely buried uh, they were rock bottom um, and it's, uh, it's it's been tough it's been real tough but um, I'm enjoying the football again now and the challenges and I just hope that um, we get a chance to you know to, to put this one um, out of our mind because uh, it wasn't us today uh, we, 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 I've just said to the lads we're better than that uh, and um, but we got what we deserved today because we, we, it didn't seem to be we turned up today. OK, I mean, they've obviously responded to you, you know, since you've come in. You know, the, the, there's not been a big turnover of players necessarily, has there? Just no, it's you? the same group of players. It's the same group of players. Uh, we've got them organised, structured. We've got them physically strong. Um, but, you know, I've, I've got a desire to, to want to, you know, to, to, to make this, this club, you know, bigger into what it used to be. You know, when I dropped out of the Football League, you know, it was one of the biggest clubs in non-league football. Great fan base. I mean, you see the fans we, we you know, we brought away with us today, and um, it's going to be tough. It's going to take time, but um, you know, we, we need to be a little bit more consistent in a lot of things. You know, while the club's growing, and and hopefully we can, you know, we can achieve a goal this this year. I mean, when I come in, the owner and the chairman just said, you know, if you finish third from bottom, you, you know, you, you you've done you've done a fabulous job, and. Just fingers crossed that we can, you know, we can get over the line and, and, and finish the job this year. And then, then for me, there's a massive amount of planning in the summer um, because I don't want to be down um, fighting relegation battles. And um, you know, to do that needs a lot of work, you know, to, to be put in. And um, but I think we can we, we can we can grow as a football club again. And that was Paul Cox, and that leaves Kettering still down, obviously, in the bottom half. Uh, They are just above the relegation zone, but they are nine points clear of Blyde Spartans, who uh, didn't play in the end against Gloucester. But uh, you'd feel Kettering are safe, won't you? My instinct is that, yes, they are. I know Paul Cox, in his interview there, I think he said that his achievements in keeping Kettering Town in this division from the position they were in when they took over will count as one of his biggest achievements in, in the game. Um, and certainly he's done terrifically. I think it's something like only their third or fourth loss in the league since he took over at the end of October. He's made them hard to beat with pretty much the same personnel. Um, and he's done a terrific job. But I think you could tell from that interview there, he's not satisfied with that. He wants to build Kettering up. He wants them to come back stronger. He's not happy with being where they are. He's kind of accepted the situation that they were in. Um, if he can... If they come out of that um, safe in National League North and can build on that one, then I think Wilcox will be uh, pretty satisfied. Well, uh, we'll have a look at the National League now. Hi everyone, I'm Martin Tyler. You are listening to the NL Full Time Podcast. In the rest of the National League, as I say, Notts County, they won't want the season to stop at the minute because they're flying. They um, 
they beat Aldershot midweek by three goals to wrong to one. Rob was there. He caught up with Regan Boots, who's at Notts County now and was at Aldershot on loan last season. And that was before the game. And here's what they had to say. So I'm here for the NL Full Time Podcast at Meadow Lane, home of Notts County, where a midweek game at home to Aldershot. And I'm joined by somebody who knows both clubs well. Somebody who was at Aldershot last year and uh, now at Notts County. He's been well involved. Uh, until recently, it's a few injury problems, I think. Regan Booty, um, good to see you again. Uh, what your own injury? Uh, what's your own injury situation, Regan? Yeah, I've been out on my back for two or three months now. I've been back running and training in the last two, three Are weeks. I hopefully be back involved over the coming weeks, but it's been long. But hopefully, be back out there soon. Goes without saying, of course, massively contrasting clubs, contrasting stadiums. Uh, I know you enjoyed your time out all the shot, but uh, how's the season been for you at Notts County? Yeah, really good. I've enjoyed my time here. Obviously, like you say, it's a massive club. You see that looking at the ground. I think there's a real good feeling about the place. Obviously, at the start of the season, a lot of stuff went on, but I think that's all settled down now. So, yeah, I've really enjoyed my time here. I'm just looking forward to getting back out there and playing. So, And obviously, at the right end, um, come the business end of the season, and, and picking up a little bit of form as well, whilst being able to freshen things up, rotate good quality players. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a real good time to hit some form. Obviously, two away wins on the bounce is always good, especially in this league. A couple of wins can take you up the table and strengthen your position. Obviously, that's what we need to keep doing. Obviously, we need to keep backing them results up. And like you said, we've got a real strong squad now and the gaffer can trust anyone to come in and play and get the result we need. So, And with such a big squad and such competition for places, it's got to also be great, the fact that the club is still in the uh, FA Trophy as well, and that, I, I guess that's something you might even have your own sights on in the next few weeks, perhaps an involvement in that. Yeah, definitely. You obviously want to be involved in as much competitions as possible, have as many games as possible, and obviously we're two games away from Wembley in the trophy, so that's obviously a big game for the club again, and hopefully yeah, we'll be back involved in that over the coming weeks, obviously it's coming up the next couple of weeks, so I look forward to that. Final question, uh, everybody I talk to at the minute, I'm talking about mentality, it's my favourite subject. Um, there had to be a huge mentality change here. I'm sure it's been talked about a lot from a side relegated from the Football League after all the history to one that's competing to go back up. How have the club approached it? What's the feeling that you've had since the start of the season? I think that's just a real credit to everyone involved from the management, the staff, everyone who works at the club, like office staff. And I think we've all come together as a group this year. Obviously, we've been adding to the squad as the season's gone on, but I think we've shown a real togetherness. When it, like obviously said at the start of the season, some of the boys are here and said how tough it was. I think it just shows what a great club it is that we've been able, the club's been able to bounce back from that and obviously have us in such a positive position going into the business end of the season. So, And I have thought of one more question just quickly, Regan. I know that um, managers will always talk about they don't want revenge, they just want things to keep going right. But as a player, having come back to Aldershot earlier in the season and been on the end of a defeat, one or two of the boys in the side today quietly will be looking to just win their battles and, 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 and put that wrong right, won't they? Yeah, definitely. I think it's at the stage of the season now where you've got to keep picking up points and obviously back results up that we've had. Obviously, they, they beat us earlier on in the season, so hopefully we can turn that over tonight and get another three points. And it was a vital win for Notts County in that game. They won it by three goals to one. And you saw them first-hand, Rob, and how impressed were you? OK, if I'm really honest, um, there was nothing in the game for an hour. But a couple of... Uh, how clinical Christian Dennis was, was was really the difference between the two sides. His two second-half goals made it look on paper a comfortable home win for Notts County. It never was. Shots took the lead and played very well in the first half, and they had two golden chances to take the lead at the start of the second half as well. But uh, they went begging. 
Dennis made them pay with two exquisite finishes. Um, and uh, fair play to Notts County, I think they've just picked up a bit of form and momentum at the right time. Um, and uh, they perhaps will find it a little harder than most teams right now that, uh, you know, things are likely to grind to a bit of a halt over the next uh, week or so because uh, another brilliant win with much of the same goal scorers uh, on target yesterday, a 4-0 win on Saturday. Uh, the most impressive player for me, other than Christian Dennis with his finishing, was Callum Roberts, who I know some of you boys have seen before. I got a real feeling on the uh, evening of why that chap had been brought in. He got his second goal for the Magpies. He got another one yesterday. And I think he's a real find. And he's a player that I think is comfortable at this level and can quite easily go up with Notts County if they do get promotion. Yeah, I've seen him three times this season, Dickie, and I've enjoyed watching him every time. I know you've seen him a couple of times, and Chris, you've seen him as well at Stockport. He's a brilliant player, isn't he? Yeah, he is. I think there was an acceptance when he was at Blythe Spartans earlier in the season that he was you know, only passing through on his way um, back up the football pyramid. I think Lee Clark did exceptionally well to get him in and get him in on a, on a contract as well, which meant that Blythe did actually received some compensation for him when he when he moved on to Notts County. Um, I think Lee Clark said that he, he just lost his way a little bit when he fell out of the professional game, having been released by by Newcastle in the summer. Um, but he's certainly relaunching his career in, in some style at, at Blythe and now at Notts County. And yeah, I can see him going higher. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo all that. I mean, when I saw him in the, in the game against Stockport County, uh, earlier on, I mean, Rob said he's, he's comfortable at this level. Well, in the Bly team, he was just, <laughs> he was outstanding. It was like when, um, no disrespect to Blythe, but it was like uh, when you go back to playing school football and you've got a lad who's on the books of a professional club or something playing with his, his school teammates. He was he was brilliant, and he was absolutely brilliant yesterday as well. Uh, so I saw the uh, the highlights there as well, he, and he was exceptional. And I'd just like to say on Notts County, I mean. Credit to Neil Ardley for putting together a squad that has been um, more than competitive and is putting a, a Gold Cup type run um, at this stage of the season um, towards uh, well towards well they're in the top three now whether they can get further depends on other issues and uh, and and if it carries on how Barrow and, and Harrogate go but uh, yeah um, they're certainly the informed team at the moment. And Rob caught up with Christian Dennis post-match from that Aldershot game. Joined by very happy Christian Dennis at uh, Notts County. Not surprisingly, back in the team tonight, two goals. And that's the way you, uh, you reply to um, be left out of the team on Saturday, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, the manager told me on Friday that um, I won't be playing Saturday, get ready for Tuesday. And I did that and I'm glad to repay him with two goals. Tricky night tonight for Notts County. Massive win at Barrow. But it was back to the grind uh, and the bread and butter of the National League with a home game tonight. And it, it didn't probably start the way you wanted. No, like, Barrow away is easy to get yourself up for, isn't it? Because they're top of the league and these are the games on a Tuesday night where teams come and try and play against you. And we just had to grind first half, want the best. And then the gaffer had a word with us at half time, went a bit mad. And we've responded second half, so glad to get the win. So you level at half-time with a, a fine strike from, from Callum Roberts and then a couple of golden opportunities for Aldershot right at the start of the second half and then a bit of crossbar competition going <laughs> on at either end. Uh, and while everyone was just trying to get to grips with that, um, 
you saw a vision of something in your in your mind quite quickly and executed with a beautiful lob over uh, Mitch Walker. Yeah, I noticed the first few minutes he was always off his line from whenever we had like a throw in or whatever, and I double checked as it's been played over the top and seen him off his line for chance it and thought he hit it too hard to be honest, and I was just glad to see it drop in. Now a lot of people have been talking about that goal, but I have to say the um, the way he steered the second goal, the header. Um, in was probably harder technically, wasn't it? Yeah, I just thought um, got across the man and just get ahead to the back stick, and it was always going away from the keeper. Kind of knew as soon as it headed it, it was in. So I was really happy with that goal. Now, as one of the players that's been at Notts County last season and this, obviously hugely different scenarios. But going into the business end of it, I'm sure you'd rather have the pressure of uh, uh, you know a top seven playoff finish than uh, than trying to fight against relegation. Yeah, definitely. We've just got to keep winning our games now and putting pressure on teams around us and hopefully we'll end up in as high as we can to going into the playoffs if we get there. Are you going to aim high as you can and uh, see what comes? Yeah, you never know. We, we've just got to win as many games as we can, just finish as high up as we can and let the teams around us do what they do and we'll just concentrate on ourselves. And if you do have to do it at Wembley, it's not a bad consolation, is it? Yeah, it's not a bad little pitch, is it, to be fair? But just fingers crossed we get there or we just get to two twice actually the trophy the week after hopefully we can get there twice and that was Christian Dennison Chris you mentioned about the squad that Neil Hardley's put together at Notts County but there are still six or seven players he played in League 2 last season for them one of them was Dennis and we know his quality at this level we've seen him for Stockport County and Macclesfield in the past as well yeah, and uh, again, more credit for, for keeping those players because we've seen in the past that, that when teams have gone down from, from league football, they have kept a few of those players. They haven't had the the performances that, that Notts County have been putting in this season. Normally, you would expect, um, with one or two exceptions, a bit of a dip, a bit of a mid-table. Uh, you look at like of Chesterfield, who haven't really recovered um, from, from their relegation. So what Neil Adley's done well is he's kept a, a lot of that, but he's added really wisely. He's added heads who've been at this level, and he's added throughout the season as well, and it, it seems to have been a model for success. Talking of Chesterfield, down at the bottom, they looked like they were going to get all three points when Tom Denton slotted home a penalty against Dover, but... Uh, that man, the brilliant Nassim Ghul, scored in the 89th minute to ensure the spoils were shared. And when we look at the other results in a minute, that'll turn out to be a good point for Chesterfield, I think. Yeah, definitely, Luke. Um, it's a point on the back of some wins and a little bit of an unbeaten run growing. So uh, all of that has lifted uh, Chesterfield, let's say, to a position where if the season were to end, they should be OK uh, in which other way... Uh, the authorities decided it, it needs to end. Um, as for Dover, well, I, I didn't check the lineups. Perhaps somebody can do it now. I'm driving at the moment, but um, not the first time Mr. Ngul has come on and saved the day, is it, for, for Dover? He may have started yesterday. He tends to come off the bench, and uh, he's quite often got a goal in him. Saved a point for Dover. I'm not sure what that does for them, really. I don't think that they're, they're, they're not involved in any problems going uh, looking down the table. They may still harbour some ambitions to get in the playoffs, but uh, I, I suggest it's most likely they're going to finish mid-table. He came on in the 69th minute yesterday, Rob. Well, there you go. I flew by the seat of my pants, and on this occasion, uh, well, I, I didn't crash your pants are a anyway. yeah. <laughs> 
Guys, I haven't seen that goal by Ul Ghul, but please tell me he ghosted in at the far post. Oh. <laughs> Back to midweek, and it was a massive win for Fylde at Dagenham and Redbridge, a 90th minute winner for Alex Whitmore. And then they played all the shot on Saturday. Didn't look a lot in it, Rob. A, a, a penalty that maybe Cedo's given in the centre of the field, but not many given in the area in the end. Yeah, it was a little one two. I think uh, the hand of Agupong, I think Yates felt the hand of Agupong. Whether I don't think it was probably enough to pull him over, but he's a cute player and I don't blame him for going over. And as, as Mitch Walker, the shots goalkeeper, said yesterday, he thought it probably was a penalty. Uh, if Yates doesn't go down, the referee doesn't give it. But I'm not going to have a go at Yates for going down. Um, the penalty was actually saved by Mitch Walker, but... Uh, Phyllis Kirk, who took it, got on the end of it and uh, smashed it home. I think if he hadn't got it, another foul player would. So that was a slight disappointment from Aldershot Town's point of view. They huffed and puffed yesterday. They weren't great. Lacked quality in the final third. Uh, and fired, I thought, were good value for the win. Uh, I'm not reluctant to give praise where it's due. I think Files' 94th minute winner in midweek could have proved massive for him. Now they've got a clean sheet and another 1-0 win. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, for them, a little bit like Notts County, the potential enforced break ahead is probably coming at the wrong time. Yeah, seven points out of nine for them. And Rob caught up with Kurt Willoughby after the game. I'm joined by filed striker Kurt Willoughby, um, who I last spoke to for the NL Full-Time Podcast back in June in Estonia. Now we're in March in the Fylde Coast and uh, it's a little bit colder, but uh, you'll have been warmed along with your teammates, Kurt, um, with another win, a 1-0 home win at home uh, against Aldershot and six points in a few days. That must feel massive. Yeah, no, it is massive. The boys have, uh, the boys are back positive, back enjoying it. Um, another win today, a 1-0 win. We've not had many of them. Well, we've had to fight and grind it out. We scored early on, so the boys have all dug in and defended well in tough conditions again. So, yeah, it's good. You're obviously on the bench in the first half. I'm not sure what your view of light was the penalty. Look, one of those challenges, you get them a lot in games and quite often they don't get given, but on this occasion, uh, the referee gave a penalty. Yeah, no, from where I was, um, so anyway, it looked like a clear penalty. There's been a nice one-two round a guy and he's just tackled the guy late and, yeah, I think it was a penalty. Um, and Philly stepped up and, well, he's finished the rebound, so, yeah, it was good. Now, uh, the boys in the podcast team noticed that you'd gone to York for a little while. You were just telling me off air. Explain to uh, the listeners uh, why that was. Yeah, so um, a few months ago, I was struggling with my hernias to the point where uh, I needed to have an operation. Um, So I had my operation, came back, um, and um, I was coming off the bench for Fylde. So I went off to York to get uh, game time. I played for um, pretty much 90 minutes, scored goals, and got myself back confident in myself. And uh, yeah, I've come back. Good stuff. And how do you look at um, the situation for Fylde? Obviously, there's um, a little bit of uh, a closure of the gap now, and you must believe, especially with the teams you've got to play, that you've still got a chance to uh, stay in the National League. No, definitely, yeah. We've got a good team in there on paper. We've got a very, very good team. Um, as, you, as you all know, that anyone can beat anyone in this league, and we're going into every game now confident on the back of uh, getting seven points out of nine. So, yeah, all the boys are up for it, up for the challenge, and I think we'll do it. The final question I have to ask you about the, the the rather unusual situation we find ourselves in with the COVID-19 virus and yeah. one or two respected players and managers have tweeted that they're surprised the National League decided to, to go ahead with games. Uh, how do you look at it as a, from a playing point of view? 
Um, it's a tough one, isn't it? When you when you see that every pretty much every other league um, is called off and we're we're the only one with it on. It's it's not just about football now; it's about health and and lives. So. Um, it's a lot more serious than, than just football, but once we got told that our game's on, we've just got to fully focus on that and uh, just get the job done like we did today. And that was file striker Kurt Willoughby, someone who we know well from England, seeing it not quite happen for him so far this season, but he may well get his chance if the season does carry on or does resume at a later date. The biggest losers on Saturday were, were Maidenhead, and of, of course he's... Um, these fixtures were a, a reverse of the opening day of the season when you saw Maidenhead win at Stockport, Chris, and in, they look, you were quite impressed with them, but they're on a horrific run at the minute, although they did score a brilliant opening goal. MK Don's Loney, Dylan Asongi, he set up Alpha Odysseys. They just called him Alpha on BT Sport last night. Uh, he finished anyway, but Ash Parham and Lee McClendon shut late on to leave County in a good position. Maidenhead are in rotten form. Yeah, they're in shocking form at the moment, Luke. And as you said um, at the start of the season, I was I was really impressed with them. They certainly did a job on Stockport County that that afternoon, that early afternoon. It was the very first game of the season, actually, and it could be the last one for both teams, uh, depending on what goes ahead tomorrow. But I listened to the commentary on that, and fair enough, I listened to uh, to John Kieran and Sam Byrne on um, on the Stockport on Stockport Radio, but. One thing I know you've always got to accept that it's it's a, it's a station for Stockport fans, but they were always confident that County were going to come back and win that game um, because they were they were dominant throughout, really. Um, and it was against the run of play when Maidenhead did score. Uh, Ash Palmer managed to get his third goal in three games, which is not bad for a centre half. And if you've seen that goal, it sort of dribbles into the far corner. <laughs> it takes forever to get there. But uh, Liam McLinden's goal was an absolute corker um, to win it for for Stockport County, and that's a big three points for County because it does put them into uh, into the playoff positions, albeit having played a game or two more than anyone else. Maidenhead were the biggest beneficiaries as well because they get their biggest crowd of the season against Stockport County. Yeah, Chris, what are your thoughts on McAlinden? I've not watched him enough, personally. I, um, but uh, he was banging in the goals for Halifax. He seems to have settled down at County now. Um, is, is he a player... If Stockport County were to sneak into the playoffs and uh, get promoted, that that, that, that could uh, get amongst the goals in League Two as well. Well, I think so. I think he's a. For me, he's not a sort of player you look at and think he's 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 going to be gold dust. He's going to be banging them in left, right, and centre. But his record says that he does. And he does score on a regular basis. It's taken him a few games to get into his stride at Stockport County. I've got to say, for me, he doesn't look like a he doesn't look like a number nine for me. I think he's going to be. He, he looks like a number ten. Um, he look, he's he, he's quite. I think he's quite a slight guy. He's he's good at running with the ball. He's not the best at holding up the ball. So I think he's he's got more of a number ten in him. And I've seen him play at number nine quite a bit. Um, but he's clearly got class and he's clearly his, his um, addition in the team has coincided with the run of six unbeaten for Stockport County. So I think that says something in itself. Yeah, I saw him at Halifax early in the season. He kind of played out on the wing. And it, it's like you said, Chris, he didn't really stand out, but he, he got the all-important goal and he showed that bit of class when it was needed. Yeah, and, that, and that's what he's been doing. And, um, you know, if he's the type of player who can pull something like a rabbit out of the hat like he did yesterday and turn one point into into three, you can see his value. Yeah, as I said, it was a, a, a great day for Maidenhead because in the late kickoff, 
it was Halifax nil, Ebsleet one, so a blow to Halifax as a playoff challenge. They are still in the playoff places, but a second defeat in a row at home without scoring. Pete Wilde looked very deflated afterwards, but Ebsfleet, who Kev Watson revealed afterwards hadn't trained since Tuesday because of various issues with the training ground, got the only goal through Gozi Ugwill, and they were good value for it, weren't they, Chris? Oh, they definitely were. Well, first of all, I had the pleasure of watching the 5.20 kick-off live because I was actually at home at that time when I'm normally uh, scrabbling around for interviews like you guys were yesterday. Um, but I was really, really impressed with the performance of Ebsfleet yesterday. They really did a, a, a job on Halifax. I think Kevin Watson got his tactics absolutely spot-on and Gozi Ugwu and Tony Adeloy in particular were absolutely fantastic. Adeloy coming on after about 10 minutes uh, as, a, as, a, as an early substitute and they were really, really good yesterday, you could see the fighting spirit with the team, they were not going to let that lead um, go and it was certainly them in the second half who looked the more likely um, to score Kevin Watson, he's, he's just calm isn't he, I was watching it and BT Sport did an interview with him on about 55 minutes during the game at which point Halifax were trying to attack and, and break <laughs> his defence down and he was still Cool as a cucumber when other managers wouldn't have done it, and I think that calmness is, is showing off on Ebsfleet because he's um, from when he took over to where they are now is is quite remarkable, really. Yeah, they've given themselves a massive chance, and they're in fourth bottom. And if three only do go down, then Ebsfleet are in the, in, are in pole position now. Yeah, absolutely, and it reminds me a little bit of uh, all the shots finished last year, where they were always going to be in the bottom four, but they were focused on trying to get fourth bottom just in case. Um, and Epsley will possibly have loftier ambitions than that, but uh, as we all know, it would seem likely that fourth bottom would be safe. And uh, you know what, boys? I think, if we're honest, most of us were saying about three weeks ago that Epsley and Chorley had gone, and since then, well, Chorley's uh, impending relegation has only been, uh, you know, made more likely. But Epsley have a chance now. They really, really do, and uh, full credit to them. It just shows to not listen to us again, really. <laughs> is, uh, is, is it really? But it's, it's, it's when you look at the league table now, all the way up to 16th in Aldershot, I mean, Aldershot probably aren't looking over the shoulders and maybe glancing a little bit, but teams like Wrexham, Chesterfield will be now, won't they? They certainly will, and believe me, Aldershot are doing more than glancing in the form that they suddenly find themselves in with three straight defeats in a week. I think it's that team treading water that kind of know uh, another couple of wins or a win and a couple of draws. And they're kind of mathematically there, but at the moment, you can't see where the next point's coming from. We can't really get into that because I'm just not so sure the games are going to go ahead. What might happen, I think there's three or four games due in the National League Tuesday. They might just get done before any uh, governmental uh, forced uh, changes. Yeah, I know Pete Wilder interviewed him afterwards. They play Boreham Wood. On Tuesday, and he said it's business as usual for us until we're told otherwise. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Let's say the National League meet on Monday afternoon. Uh, they meet around lunchtime to make another decision. So, once we hear about that, we'll tweet it out on our Twitter page at NL Full Time. And uh, it gives me an opportunity to, as well to say subscribe to us, follow us on, give us a follow or subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify as well. 
The final game that took place in the National League on Saturday, another highest crowd of the season for Sutton as they entertained Hartlepool and it looked like uh, Sutton were the dominant side from the highlights I saw, Harry Beatman and Mr Sitter towards the end, but uh, Gavin Hullahan scored, didn't he, for Sutton in the end after Sutton had taken the lead after about 90 seconds? Yeah, and I, I don't think uh, Sutton fans will be on Harry Beatman's back too much. He has an outstanding goal-scoring record this season and... Uh, He's won them an awful lot of points uh, this season. Um, looking at the league table, for Sutton, I'd say they're pretty much safe with 50 points. I think perhaps that draw might have curtailed any lingering ambitions they had of making the, the playoffs. Um, and as far as the Hardy Ball concerned, well, there's still time, but they're running out of games and uh, a three-point deficit. They will believe they can still get in there, but it's starting to look uh, a little bit of a harder task for them. A draw that didn't do either team any favour. So we'll move on now and look at the National League South. Taking antibiotics when you don't need them puts you and your family at risk of a longer and more severe illness. Always take your doctor's advice. Search NHS Antibiotics. And in the National League South, Wheelstone... First of all, all the games got played in the National League South, so all 11 games went ahead and plenty of goals around there as well. Wheelstone drew 1-1 at Chippenham and uh, that man scored again for them, Michi Effete. He scored quite a few in the last few weeks for them as they, they remain top of the table. They remain only three points clear now, though, of Haven and Waterlooville. It's a lot tighter than we uh, than we anticipated a few weeks ago. They're really on the charge, haven't they got a good win at Dorking by two goals to one. And Rob, they scored in the 95th minute through Dean Beckwith. And how big a goal might that prove to be? Yeah, huge, huge win for them. I happened to notice at half-time, I think it was, that Dorking were... Well, certainly they'd gone 1-0 up. And I thought, wow, this, that could be a huge victory for Dorking. And then the next thing I knew after the game, I looked and saw haven't had won it 2-1. And I'm pretty, I think I'm right in saying they've got an incredible away record this season, haven't I? I don't think that they've lost on the road, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, which is a quite staggering feat uh, in March. Um, and, and we've been trying to say how they've been slightly underachieving all season, but uh, that is a huge win, and uh, maybe they're just finding the right amount of momentum at the right time, and and they'll be sniffing uh, blood now with uh, Wilston League Cup yesterday. And they've got the experience as well, haven't they? They've got, obviously, the ex-Sutton manager in Paul Doswell. They've got ex-Sutton players. I know it's Nicky Bailey also scored for them. And, um, they, 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 yeah, they'll be... Wheelstone will be sweating a little bit now, won't they? Yeah, for sure. Um, they've, they've played a, a game more, haven't they, Waterlooville, but they are already three points behind. Um, and Yeah, Bath won 1-0 at Hungerford. Adam Mann scoring there. And then Weymouth won 2-0 against Slough. A big result for Weymouth in the context of thing. A Josh McQuaid penalty opener scoring in 51 minutes. And then Andy Robinson, the, the former Bolton and uh, Southampton player, he scored the second goal 
for their massive result that for Weymouth there in third there now three points clear of Slough and it was interesting to see as well guys afterwards and both John Underwood and Neil Baker came out on Twitter and slammed a minority of fans who, who maybe question the tactics a little bit and quite strange that in a way. Yeah, I mean it's 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 quite unusual to see, but I would say it's something that you uh, you see managers doing slightly more now uh, on social media as Twitter's probably the the go to place now for fans and players and managers after a game. So it's unusual to see, and I think I'm right in saying it was a it, was it a selection that, that the fans disagreed with, uh, or was it a penalty taker? I can't I can't quite remember what the, what the problem was, but uh, but yeah, it, it's quite unusual for. Uh, um, for a manager to come out, and you know, fair enough, it's, you can understand it happening. I think if we uh, if we look at last week, you saw um, Eric Dyer climbing up and and confronting fans in the, in the stands. It's you know, it's it's really hard to keep your counsel. I would imagine in those situations when you've got people giving you uh, such abuse. And we go to football grounds; we probably know what um, what the level of that abuse was as well. Yeah, and also you look at this season slow of had. I mean, they're having a Brilliant season, aren't they? And I suppose that's where the frustration from the management duo come from. And like I think John Underwood called it like a, a half. A, it could have gone either way. So, it, like you say, if it was to do with a penalty take, if they scored the penalty, they've uh, they wouldn't maybe got something out of it, and it would have all been different. But yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's where the frustration comes from from the style of managers, don't they? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I will say, um, I will say that I did follow the replies to, to the tweets, and uh, a lot of the fans were saying, "Look, those are people who aren't normally there, um, or those are people who, who aren't the same people who come week in and week out." So it might be that maybe there's a few extra people there yesterday who um, who hadn't seen the performances across the whole season. The other team in the playoffs were Dartford. Rob and uh, as I said we heard from Steve Steve King on Radio 5 Live yesterday saying well they've just got to get on with it and, and, and they did do they brushed aside Chelmsford in the end by three goals to nil yeah and Elliot remain on target again and uh, a comfortable home win for Dartford and uh, I'll tell you what you wouldn't be King's side in the playoffs would you although the memory of course goes back to last season when I think they were three nil up weren't they um, against uh, Oh no, they were 2-0 up against Woking and just run out of steam after the midweek playoff game. And that was a really good example of how it is an, such an advantage to finish second or third and have one home game to get to the final rather than having to do it away from home midweek followed by a game on the Saturday. Teams just outside of the playoffs. So Hampton Richmond Borough, who had the only red card of the day, on Saturday, Maidstone and Chelmsford are there as well. I think Chelmsford are, are out of it. Really, the only team you can see gate crashing are Hampton and Richmond Borough because Maidstone are in a horrible form. They lost 3-0 at Eastbourne Borough. haven't been ripping up trees this season, as I say, Hampton and Richmond Borough. Maybe feel like two points dropped, although, as I say, only red card of the day um, for Luke Ruddock, who was sent off on 19 minutes and he drew 1-1 in the end with Oxford City. I mean, is that fair, Rob, that you'd say that maybe Hampton are the only team now that can get in there? Having a quick look at it, uh, it seems likely. I don't think Maidstone will have quite given up the ghost. They've got nine games left, so they have still got time. You know, we all know, boys, we talk about it week in, week out, a couple of back-to-back wins can change the look of an awful lot of league tables, but um, Hampton and Richmond, I, I, I've got to be honest, I know they have been in much improved form I hadn't realised just how far they'd crept up at the table and uh, 
Yeah, fantastic from their point of view. They're just three points behind Dorking uh, and they've got two games in hand. So they've got a, a, a great chance. It's funny we mentioned a few weeks ago about John Still and the Hack and Heretan partnership. Well, they've announced that's going to be broken up at the end of the season, whenever that may well be now. But uh, John Still is going to step down and leave Hack and Heretan in sole charge. And for me, that's not a massive surprise, really. Yeah, it's so difficult, um, you know, to know exactly how that relationship worked. Um, if you saw the documentary, The Gaffer, earlier in the season, um, the impression you got from that was hacking Hay Retton was doing a lot of the uh, a lot of the bread and butter stuff, um, and uh, John Still was constantly correcting him on things. It was like uh, the, the bigger older, wiser uncle, wasn't it? You know, um, and uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, they might have been playing up to that a little bit. You know, maybe that was the way they liked people to perceive their role, but. Uh, I don't know. John Still is going to always be a legend in non-league football. It's just a little bit of a shame. <clears throat> Excuse me, the last couple of appointments uh, towards the end of Barnet and at Maidstone, you know, they couldn't they couldn't save them from the relegation last season. They're underachieving this season, and um, yeah, I mean, maybe that's maybe it's just an indication that that John Still's ready to step back from regular involvement in football, uh, it might just be that it could be the make, the making or the breaking of Hacking High Retton. Let's see. Yeah, down at the bottom, it is still tight. Concord and Tombridge played out a really entertaining 3-3 draw as well. And uh, we mentioned about teams suffering from financial trouble. Tombridge, I've, I've obviously mentioned in recent weeks, they need uh, about £7,500 to keep going and they've not had any home games for a while. But... Uh, a fantastic game there and uh, a vital goal at the end in stoppage time by Rian Bray uh, to give Tombridge a vital point at Concord. I think, as I mentioned with Eastbourne winning, I think that's put them safe now. They're on 42 points, but anyone from Dulwich downwards could uh, could still go with Billy Ricky losing as well by two goals to nil. Uh, St Albans got a win against Braintree and a massive six-pointer as well. Dulwich Hamlet 2 Hemel Hempstead won. They came from behind in that game, Dulwich. And it's so topsy-turvy down at the bottom, isn't it, in the south? Yeah, and you can't really read that league table and decipher too much at the minute. A, because there's only two points between 16th and 21st. Uh, and B, because the sides have played a massively different number of games. You've got... Uh, Tunbridge have only played 31, Billericay and Concord 32. And there's others in and around that area, like uh, Braintree, St Albans and Dulwich Hamlet, who have all played 35. I know we talk about points on the board and not games in hand, but when you've got three games in hand, you'd have to, uh, you couldn't quite bank on a, a point haul from them, but you'd expect to get amongst the points with three opportunities, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Hungerford could have done with winning as well on, on Saturday. As I said, they lost in a tough game there to Bath and that leaves them um, adrift once again after giving themselves some hope. Braintree back into the bottom two and difficult to call, Rob. I mean, say if the season stops now, it'd be Braintree and Hungerford who go, but even Hungerford maybe have got a little sniff. They've got a couple of games in hand on teams above them. So it's still not over there, is it? Unlike in the North and maybe in the National League with Charlie 
saying in the north we've got Blythe and Bradford Park Avenue, we're maybe calling that as done, but certainly not in the south. It's not quite done, but there is a differential, and it doesn't look good for Braintree or Hungerford. If uh, we've talked about the different possibilities, they'll be praying for a null and void season, uh, whether it's points per game or the table ended as it is at the moment uh, in both cases. Those two sides, their season would end in relegation. Um, yeah, we'll wait and see. Another week or two and it might just be done. Well, that is it. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Rob, thanks for thanks for uh, ploughing on, even though you're on the train and in the car. Yeah, I managed train and automobile. I didn't manage to take part in this podcast from a plane, but two out of three ain't bad, as the song goes. Definitely not. Chris, thanks once again for your pearls of wisdom. <laughs> Cheers, Luke. And Dickie, as always, uh, you, you've contributed a lot, and I know we're obviously you were really excited to meet John Murray today. Well, not meet him, but speak to him. Yeah, no, it's been a really, really good morning, and, and good to speak to all, uh, to all of you, as always. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, John. No problem, and good luck to you all. And, uh, thank you very much. I, I have to admit, I've been dancing around the kitchen a bit this morning because a couple of years ago I was at the Shrewsbury versus West Ham FA Cup game and I didn't have the nerve to come over and speak to you and I regretted it ever since. <laughs> so um, it's, it's been a pleasure this morning, absolutely. Oh, well, very, you're very nice to talk to you all. Bro, well, that is it. As I say, subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. We may well be back next week. We may well just have a little quick chat about various things if things if, if matches aren't happening but certainly we'll we will we will retweet out the decision from the National League when they meet on Monday. Until then stay safe everyone, wash your hands, stay healthy and uh, look after yourselves and we'll see you all very soon.